Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Grinders Cast MTG. This is going to be episode 81. We're going to have a little bit of an introduction because Tannen is on vacation. That's why you're going to hear my lovely voice for way too long. Uh, normally, Tannen dominates the cast. Tonight, I get to. And instead, we have another finals loser in Drake Sasser on Hello. camp on it'll be great uh we're gonna talk about scg louisville we're gonna talk uh, a little bit of modern then we're gonna talk about a little bit of standard uh since we do have gp kansas city coming up this upcoming weekend and then we have the invitational coming up after that but you know it's kind of interesting uh this is an all nova cast now Ooh, ooh, ooh. this is yeah this is kind of nice so so we have team me team dad and we have drake and brad uh currently hold on let me see what their rankings are because i want to make sure that we're going to be honest and it looks like it's two and four drake is two and brad is four. Oh wow i've been moving up holy crap i'm proud of you brad yeah yeah, yeah brad was brad was seven like a week or two ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> slowly but surely yeah, it is it is impressive. I'm I am a big fan of Drake Sasser right now. Uh, kind of, I guess, a bigger fan of Brad than I used to be. Hey, oh, congrats, hey. Brad. Congrats. You know, Brad. Brad's moving on up. Uh, you know, Brad did not have a good tournament this last weekend, so that was kind of unfortunate. Uh, I did you end up playing the standard classic, Brad, or did you? Uh yeah, I definitely definitely played the standard classic. Went a cool five two and one. I drew with Zach Allen in the last round to lock up top thirty two in a nice uh, I don't know like a box. I got I got like forty packs or whatever. I got a box plus four packs. Forty packs? Wow! Did you open the packs? I did actually. Since uh, I was very sad, and uh, <laughs> so was my my friend Rob Vaughn. We actually had the genius idea to pack war the entire box versus the other one. The person with the highest converted mana cost rare takes the other rare so uh i walked away with a lot of stuff and he walked away with uh nickel bolus so wow that Isn't is that sorry pack well, that's pack poker not pack warring right it's, i thought it's, pack warriors were like shuffle bands and like played them or whatever yeah it was gas too they're apparently different variations that's the one that i know drake you i usually I do story. total converted mana cost of the pack but that seemed like it would take too long wow. so we just did highest converted mana cost rare and then if we if we both tied we just added another pack to it so it was a lot of fun, a lot of degeneracy. Ooh. And then eventually halfway through, Rob got upset and he was like, let's just take cards from our stacks of winnings and we'll add them. It'll be like a, like a, whatever, like a bonus, uh, bonus card on top of whatever Jeez. the pack is. I am um, uh, one of my, I, I, I like Rob Vaughn. I used to travel with, uh, with Rob actually a lot. One of my favorite trips is, uh, uh involves another friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Jones. Uh, and I, any story involving Kevin Jones is always yeah. going to be always going to be excellent. Yeah, <laughs> always going to be wild. But anyway, uh, it is his fiance's twenty uh, first birthday, and we are driving on up. Uh, so Rob comes to pick me up because we both lived in New Jersey at this time, and he's like, "All right." Uh, uh, he was like, "Do you want to eat?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'd love to eat before we headed up." And so we went and we stopped at McDonald's, and he's like, "What do you want?" I was like, "Oh, I want you know some chicken nuggets or whatever, a chicken sandwich, uh, and then could you get me a dipped cup?" And Rob goes, what the fuck is a dipped cone? So I explained to him, basically what it is is they take the soft serve, they put it into a cone, and then they dip it into some chocolate. So you have this nice chocolate shell uh, on the outside. So it is, uh, I love it. So I explained this to Brad, uh, I, expl- or I explained this to Rob. And Rob looks at me for a second and he goes, you're a child. And then there's a <laughs> pause, pause for like 30 seconds. And he goes, I want one too. Yeah, you do. <laughs> That's so fantastic. 
Yeah, it is. It is great. And then to make it even better, uh, after this, uh, we we played Pygow pretty much all weekend. And, and the version that we played, um, it basically involves cards, and you know we assign like a point total uh, to money. So it was a dollar point. At one point, uh, I'm down like I don't know, like eighty bucks to rob. Things are not going well. Uh, I think like it took me like a few hours, and then a night, uh, and a little bit into the night, and he owed me like one thirty. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. Rob come back. Rob does not run hot when it comes to card games sometimes. He he runs cold, just so cold. So so cold sometimes. <laughs> just, the stone cold unluckiest. Yeah, so so when you say that you're you're playing uh you know some sort of game with Rob and he just runs really cold and got nothing, yeah, I I, I can relate. <laughs> I've seen that seen that one too many times, that's for sure. But oh man. Yeah, so I shout out to Rob Vaughn though. Rob's great. Kevin Jones is Kevin Jones. Hey, don't you <laughs> insult Kevin like that on I'm, on the on the podcast? Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Well, Kev, they are two of my favorite people that I met while playing Magic. Yeah, I, I like hanging out with Kevin. Kevin is one of my favorite people to drive tournaments with. Uh so actually kind of an interesting thing is Drake, you drive to pretty much most of these opens now, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do. <laughs> do you have, do you have your group of people that you go with? I do. Yeah. We have a group of about, I don't know, probably three or four people that come. I mean, there's some that rotate in and out. Like uh, Zachary Cox specifically comes to like legacy events. And then there's like Michael Kidd comes to primarily modern events, but sometimes skip standard events. But we have people that are passionate about their specific formats. Wow. Um, are you, are you really not going to mention my two boys, the wonder twins? Well, Mitch and Chris just go to every single one. So it doesn't, they don't really count. They're willing to go to basically anything. Uh, whereas like, you know, some of the other ones flex on and off based on what format it is. But yeah, we, we've done some long hauls. There's been multiple 10, 11 hour drives that we've done this season. And like, you know, these are drive back Sunday night where like we all have work on Monday. And so it's like, okay, I guess we're getting in at like two or three or God forbid someone to make top eight. Then we're getting in at like sunrise. We had to do that once. It was just some of it, it can get pretty degenerate, but you got to do what you got to do to make work on time, I guess. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of degeneracy when it comes to comes to driving for things. Uh, when when we down here in the south want to drive up to Syracuse, it is a thirteen hour, thirteen yeah, it's, hour it's trip. Yeah, it is bad. It is real bad. But <laughs> no thanks. But enough about that. Uh, Louisville, did you drive or did you fly? We drove. This one's actually Louisville is kind of local. I say local in quotations because like it's still like a four and a half hour drive. But that oh. is like by far one of the closest stops. Yeah, that that's pretty good because I, I know yeah. for, for me, if I would have went, it would have only would have been like five, five and a half, something like that. Brad, you flew? Yes. I have to fly basically everywhere except for Atlanta. The Florida struggle. Yeah. Yep. The, the seven, seven hour drive is like, oh my God, it's close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like Roanoke is kind of great because everyone talks about how awful it is to get to Roanoke because it's like tiny or whatever. And like, it's just a seven hour drive, which is very reasonable. Yeah. For me, Roanoke is about five ish, which is kind of nice because I'm going to have to drive a hundred percent. So I'm, I'm looking forward to be able to, to at least try to go to work for a little bit before I have to, before I have to head in. But I am pretty excited. Uh, We are going to kind of have a a little bit of a Nova, a Nova house ish. We have a bunch of Nova members. I know it's going to be me, Harlan, Drake, Chad, and uh, I believe uh, uh, we have special guest Kevin Jones uh, <laughs> staying with us, which is kind of nice. And uh, I know Brad Brad elected not to stay with that core group of people. So, you know, unfortunate for Brad. You know, he'll be somewhere else. 
we'll miss you, Brad. Yeah, well, I heard, I heard, I heard Rudy was staying there, so you know. Ooh, uh-oh, yikes! Oh, all right, all right, <laughs> all right, Brad. Well, I'll remember this, this, uh, sh- this shame, this attack that you brought on me. But I didn't get to play SCG Louisville. I had to work all weekend. Brad, you don't have a job. You got to go. Drake, Drake, you do have a job, but you're responsible and you manage your time appropriately. So I'm a pretty big fan of that. Uh, Brad, would you play in modern? We're going to start with you because obviously, you know, Drake lost in the finals. So, you know, he'll have a lot of time to talk. Spoiler alert. Uh, We started, we said that multiple times, Brad. All right. But Brad, for someone who did only played, you know, five or six rounds of modern. What did you hey, play? You, how do you know exactly how many rounds I played? Uh, because oh, as team dad, I have to pay attention to that. And I'm going to take every opportunity to dagger you. Cause this is what you wow, get. That's just, yeah, this is what you get for talking trash. <laughs> so at least I don't have to go out of my way to dagger you. It's just so easy. It just flows. Who, who, had, who had to go out of my way. I'm just going to start just leaning into facts just over and over again. So Brad, that's what they're they're called nowadays. So anyway, besides your buy, you only won one other round. Go on. (laughs) Wow. That's not true. I think I won two. Uh, I think I went two, three drop. I don't remember that. I might have went like three, three drop. I don't actually remember. I just remember that there were two rounds left and there was a group of us all eating barbecue. It was nice. It's a good life. Uh, Yeah. I elected to play is it phoenix uh i was trying infect because i thought maybe the deck didn't suck anymore but i was wrong and then uh, i tricked harlan into playing it so you know really bratted harlan this weekend <laughs> i tricked him into thinking the deck was good you get it because he yeah. harlan's people yeah. but yeah, we, you know we, i we abandoned him anyway uh so after i bratted harlan and got him to play infect i elected that that would be a terrible choice because the deck is just like inconsistent and it still loses to itself way more than i wanted to so i decided to play the oliver 2 deck from the pro tour which is just like um blue red phoenix but it's playing uh four pyromancer's ascension and three noxious revival so you end up looping metamorphose with noxious revival and you turn on ascension super quick you draw a bunch of cards get like infinite mana and then you kill your opponent um but yeah so i decided to play that because you know drake was like i'm playing regular phoenix and i was like well drake you're just stupid and uh definitely not thin or smart and you know so i dismissed drake and then i even stayed with uh ross miriam this weekend and he also was playing regular phoenix and i went wow ross you're dumb too and then you know spoiler alert you know i didn't turn out to be the smart one uh but yeah so i played that and i i lost a will polium uh former teammate uh current arch nemesis <laughs> i'm currently lifetime o2 against him he browned the crap out of me with tron i lost to evan whitehouse in like the like 70 card mirror which was basically a crapshoot. And then I lost to humans, which also felt like a unwinnable matchup. And uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't recommend the Pyramanchers Ascension version of the deck. Um, I think, you know, Drake, how would you feel about playing a more traditional build of, is it Phoenix? I think that might be the smart and thin thing to do. Well, let's, well, let's, let's start with that. So, so hold on. So before we get into that, so you played Pyramanchers Ascension and you basically lost two creature decks is what you're telling me. Uh, well, yeah, if you call Tron a creature deck. Uh, besides Tron. You said you lost uh, a human. Yeah, if you call the mirror a, uh, a creature deck. Creatures? There are. What do you mean? There's at least eight and creatures. Then, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at your deck list before, but... 
heavy creature count. So, but you did lose to humans, and you said humans felt awful with Pyromancer's Ascension. Is uh, Yeah, you kind of like... I, I think the new version of humans, uh, they end up being able to just play super aggressively, and then they have... Dylan Hand actually said this, where like you've reached a critical mass of like disruption for uh, Thing in the Ice now with humans to where you almost are always going to have an answer to it. And it's like very difficult, especially post-board, to get a Thing in the Ice into play early and then flip it and buy enough time to just straight up kill them. So like you just end up on your back foot like way more often than not. And then they it's like pretty easy for that deck to kill you. Okay, interesting. So do you think humans is going to be at a point where moving forward, it's something that you're going to have to strongly consider when you're building your Phoenix deck, especially, you know, because we have the Invitational coming up too. Is this something that you need to keep in mind? Or do you think that this is just, you know, you the Phoenix deck is just so good in its current iteration that you could just maybe afford to like just skip a beat against humans? Uh, I don't think you can ignore it anymore. Like, uh, enough people have, like, looked at the Pro Tour results and, like, decided that, you know, humans is playable again and there's enough decks that you can kind of tune your deck to beat what's out there right now. I think it still has, like, a pretty reasonable matchup against Tron, too. I don't think Karn made that matchup any better. So, uh, yeah, I I don't think the Pyromancer's Ascension version is where you want to be at least kind of interesting uh now drake obviously you know you did lose in the finals tell us about your version why you picked it and how you felt about it so i mean for me it was a pretty natural choice coming off of uh, a top eight in cleveland like this is before the two standard opens it was i believe richmond and syracuse i had top eighted in cleveland with um an is it phoenix build that i was pretty happy with at the time and this is pre-war the spark and then coming into um this weekend in Louisville, I was considering either playing humans or Phoenix. And once again, the Phoenix list was going to be close to what I played in Cleveland because, like I said, I was very happy with that list. I didn't feel like a lot changed in the modern format, even though War of the Spark came out. You know, there's a lot of cards that people are putting in a lot of their decks, like uh, Karn, Narset. I mean, there's just a, lo- a lot of the cards. Teferi, they're all making impacts in different modern decks. I don't think the status quo on like what people are going to play is going to change that quickly. It is an eternal format. People that own humans are still going to play humans. People that own Tron, you know, may buy some Karns or whatever, but still, I don't think. Uh, like Brad alluded to, that changes the specifically the matchup with either humans or uh, Phoenix that much against Tron. So I didn't really feel like the status quo for Modern changed that much. Um, so I, I tested both decks. Humans felt to be well positioned, especially after it won the uh, Mythic Championship. I was pretty interested in giving humans a go, playing Deputy Detention in the main. I felt like was a very good idea because it um, once again, as Brad mentioned, it gave you extra answers to Thing in the Ice, which is a problem that humans had before. Was that's obviously the best, the most important card. Being able to cover that in your main deck with like basically being pre sideboarded for the matchup was very impactful. So um, I, I gave humans a try, but it still felt like humans was just a more underpowered deck. Which I guess that's just saying. I don't know, that's probably redundant in some way, but it did not feel as powerful as Phoenix does, right? And so after running Phoenix, you know, through some leagues as well, the deck still just felt far and above, like far and away more powerful than what humans was doing on average. And so I locked the deck in pretty quick. Um, But during this testing process, Brad, I I think it was Brad that shared the list for uh, the combo version of Phoenix that he mentioned. And in my testing, it did seem to have a lot of trouble with 
creatures. Um, like you have less removal because you're not playing uh, surgical extraction for the mirror. You're not playing gut shot for humans. You're playing noxious revival, which like has some like contextual um, uses, but in general was mostly there as like a combo card and like still a free spell. So you can flip thing in the ice, return Phoenixes, stuff like that. But my biggest issue are actually with the Phoenix, I'm sorry, with the uh, Noxious Revival, Pyrants, or Ascension version of the Phoenix deck was that it was much weaker to Graveyard Hate than the list that I was used to playing. Um, namely, like the lack of Crackling Drake hurt a lot. Um, just the lack of like, even like Snapcaster Mage had text under like a rest in peace. Whereas if you have four Pyrants or Ascension in your deck, like that card just has no text. And Noxious Revival now can't even be cast because there's no targets. So, you know, it turns off, you know, seven spells in your deck that you can't really get out of your deck when you're sideboarding as much. So I was off of that version pretty quick. Brad Brad was not so convinced, but um, I, I didn't want to make huge changes to the Phoenix deck coming in the weekend. Like I literally overhauled the sideboard to beat Tron a little bit, and I put some Finale of Promise in the main deck over Snapcaster Mage because it just synergizes better with your deck, the Thing in the Ice and Phoenix. So, and Pyrant's Ascension. Casting under Pyrant's Ascension is nice. So... And then, like, I had a Saheeli in the sideboard, and that was just to kind of try it out for blue-white and uh, black-green. But mostly blue-white, since I expected that deck to be a little more popular because of the new walkers. So that's kind, of, that's kind of interesting here, is that you did play Finale of Promise. And Finale was one of those cards that, on the surface level, looks pretty powerful. Obviously, as you said, it synergizes with everything you're trying to do. But not. it doesn't look like a lot of people played it. Why are people not playing the card if you are finding success with it? Is it just not actually going to be good enough for most of what you're doing? Does it feel just not as impactful? I don't really know. So I think a lot of the people that played Phoenix were, I don't know, enticed by this combo version, like having that other angle of attack um, was something that I think a lot of people were very attracted to, but like Finale Promise doesn't really fit in that deck very well. Like you have to fill your other slots with more uh, redundancy to turn on your Pyromancer's Ascensions a little bit better. Um Everyone else, I mean, I don't really know. Uh, the Mono Red Phoenix deck definitely was high on Finale of Promise. I saw at least three copies in the mo- basically all the Mono Red versions. So anybody playing Mono Red Phoenix was very high on the card. And I mean, you can definitely see why. If you just see the card cast, it's, it looks incredible um, at returning Phoenixes. I mean, basically just playing your game plan of casting a lot of spells, moving through your deck, cantripping, and, you know, just dealing a lot of damage even just flashing back bolts lava spikes in that deck it all just like works very well and fits in very seamlessly um but i didn't think i mean blue red i thought it was going to be just as good after seeing it in standard like in okay in spoiler season i wasn't actually that high on the card i was like yeah it looks like it might be okay in phoenix but still looks a little expensive i wasn't at the time really thinking about it in the snapcaster spot where you're going to recur some of your spells while still casting you know spells instead of having to cast this creature um and then when i saw it played in standard that was kind of what inspired me to put it in the modern deck because it just looked unreal good in the standard phoenix deck i was just very very impressed every time someone cast it out of that deck so i put it in the modern deck ran it through a league and was just very impressed and so i don't know it was it was a very natural replacement for snapcaster mage in the phoenix deck for me one thing i am curious about is like you really only have four is it four sorceries oh you have faithless leading too so you have eight sorceries right if you're playing four uh sleight of hand or am i missing more cards i guess if you're playing a main deck flame slash too yeah i have a main deck flame slash as well which matters a lot in like for instance the humans matchup right i mean it's very good in the mirror as well for killing being in the ice but primarily the humans matchup where you kind of want to be flashing back to removal spells it's like pretty nice to be able to get both modes on a removal spell like still at one mana 
Yeah, I watched uh, Austin do that. He played the Mono Red Phoenix uh, deck this weekend, and I watched him do that against a creature deck, and I was just like, whew, we uh, we win this one. <laughs> Not close. Yeah. it's Pull your thing, Flame Slasher thing, bring back two Phoenixes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got to I got to do it a couple times. I mean, I played humans four times on the weekend, I think. And yeah, Finale of Promise, it's really, really awkward against Thalia in the matchup, but that's a card that you have to kill on site anyway. And so it's not like that's not like overly a problem that it's bad against Thalia because your whole deck's bad against Thalia, right? So Finale was very impressive in the humans matchup when you could actually grasp it. Did you uh how many times did you play humans and did you feel that the matchup was like good? Um I played it four times. I do actually still feel that humans is a little favorite in the matchup, but I do I do feel like it's very close. And um, I mean, like I said, humans is just a less powerful deck. So I I think that like for instance, if humans stumbles at all or mulligans, like they're much more likely to do those kinds of things than just you know hit on every single turn, just have like fantastic hands every single game. So I think that I think that basically Phoenix is more consistent. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and therefore like that kind of swings the matchup a little bit. Like if they start mulliganing, I begin to feel more and more favored. Um, but if the humans just has like, you know, a perfect curve of like, especially Aether Vial, Aether Vial swings the matchup so much because it's so good against Thing in the Ice and redeploying your threats, um, then I don't really feel favored. But there's a lot of times that if they don't have Aether Vial, I, I, feel, I feel favored in the matchup. And like I said, I played Gutshot instead of uh, Noxious Revival or anything like that because of the, I expected the return of humans after winning the Mythic Championship. So that helped a lot. I mean, I had a time-shifted match on camera. My win in a top eight was uh, against humans. And in one of the games, uh, I believe the commentary was like, yeah, if he has gut shot here, that's just so big. And I got the gut shot of Thalia on uh, my opponent's turn two, but I still have one land to play and just kind of got to quote-unquote steal the play back. And I mean, gut shot. Gut shot was the reason that humans kind of went away. It's like, if you're playing gut shots in the Phoenix deck, then humans, is it's a lot harder for humans. Whereas, like, if there's no gut shots, I think humans is very favored against you at Phoenix. So, uh, one of the things that we definitely talked about is, uh, you know, speaking of the Mythic Championship, is we saw Phoenix basically not perform well at all. Obviously, that is not the case when it comes to, you know, using the the Vancouver Mulligan. Uh, Maybe when we get to the London Mulligan, things will change. But one of the decks that, you know, Brad and I have certainly talked about this a lot on cast is how Titan Shift always feels like it has a copy of some 75 in pretty much every major top eight and it never looks like there's that many people playing it why is this deck so good and drake i I know you've played this deck a lot so maybe you can help give us like some sort of insight like and this is something that brad and i just talked about because it just feels kind of weird that this deck always does good but it doesn't look like it has any good matchups anywhere yeah, well, people sleep on Titan Shift a lot. Titan Shift is one of these very inherently powerful decks where a lot of the times you just kill your opponent on turn four. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not interacting, whatever. But if your opponent can't, like, interact with you well or kill you before turn four, you're just going to kill them. And there's a lot to be said for that. Like, when I played Titan Shift in Atlanta, I believe, last year, I made the finals. Um that was a big reason for me picking that deck because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to play. I had a lot of experience playing Titan Shift a little bit earlier. It had gotten a few new cards that I was excited to play. And at the end of the day, it felt like a very proactive strategy that was hard to interact with. And so a lot of times Titan Shift just kind of sneaks into these top eights because when people are wanting to play like Black Green or Tron, especially, it has a very good Tron matchup. Um, And 
they aren't really able these decks aren't really able to interact or kill you before like interact effectively i say interact with titan shift because like discard like one discard spell is not going to be titan shift the deck's just all mana and then you'll top deck a payoff eventually like you'll feel like oh, there's a lot of uh filtering of your deck when you pull out that many lands it actually begins to add up like one fetch land doesn't matter that much but when you're pulling out like you know six lands out of your deck from just like other effects it's it does actually begin to matter a lot and you are much more likely to draw in the payoff and that's something that you don't really see until you play a lot with the deck so the deck is just very very consistent and you see that like that's what you just mentioned right is that it's in every top eight nobody it never really blows out a tournament where there's just like three or four copies in top eight but there's like been one in every top eight for the last like four or five modern tournaments so i think titan shift it does seem to have it does on paper have a lot of like not great matchups but it does it is very good against dredge it has a pretty reasonable humans matchup. A lot of their main deck interaction, like Lightning Bolt and their damage-based sweepers, are very good against humans. And at the end of the day, they have just a quick clock. They will kill you on turn four with Scape Shift, or potentially sometimes on turn five with Primeval Titan. But they interact very well on turn four because they play a Titan and can start bolting things. So, okay, that's that's no, I, I mean that that's kind of like yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's completely reasonable. Like that makes, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll see it. it and the other deck that we also saw pop up a lot is is Dredge, and it feels like this happens a lot, right? It, it feels like we go through this cycle all the time where no one plays Dredge, there's just a long period of time, not anywhere, and then all of a sudden, Dredge just, like, destroys just everyone we see. There's, like, multiple copies, like, everywhere. Uh, are we at a point where Dredge is going to be good this week, but in two weeks for the Imitational, Dredge is going to be a bad choice, or do you think it's still going to be good in two weeks? Uh, I think Dredge has gotten to a point where it's still pretty resilient. I think Blast Zone gives the deck, like, pretty big game uh, against a lot of the hate cards. Like, you know, Crafter's Cage, stuff like that. Um, but I, I also think people just forgot about it. It really hasn't done anything in the past, uh, you know, two tournaments, right? Like, it wasn't very big in Cleveland, my understanding. And I think that was like the last big modern tournament. And then obviously the Pro Tour it was like basically nowhere to be found because it was mono um, Tron. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure your Tron matchup is not ideal uh, with Dredge, but maybe it's fine. Maybe you just like just do enough. I mean, Oliver, you know, won the tournament. Uh, Connor Mulally like got top four. Uh, and then past that, you know, there's like a, another couple of copies smattered around the top 64. So it is kind of interesting um, that we are starting to see a little a little bit here and there. But uh, I mean, maybe didn't do enough. I mean, generally when Dredge wins a tournament, it's more likely to be hated out than it is otherwise. But I still don't know if I would. I don't think I'm going to show up to the next tournament without Graveyard Hate. I, I think the next tournament I show yeah, I, I, I think I'm ra I'd am i rather be prepared for it because, I mean, a lot of your graveyard hate is also going to, like, splash damage over into decks like Phoenix anyway, and Phoenix is going to be immensely popular. So I think I'd rather have graveyard hate and, and not need it rather than not need it and not have it. Before we move on, Oliver did kind of address when I talked to him in the finals ab about the uh, about the Tron matchup because I, like... I he like said something about my uh, four moons in the sideboard, and I was like, yeah, I was really done losing to Tron. And then I was looking through, I was like, Wait, you don't have a blast zone in the main. He's like, yeah, it's in my sideboard. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a ghost court in your main. He's like, yeah, I was also done losing to Tron. And so it seemed like he he like did kind of recognize that it doesn't have a great Tron matchup, but like the whole life from the lone ghost quarter thing was kind of his plan for the for the Tron. Yeah, and it goes it goes even deeper out. too because not only that, 
Oliver also has an Alpine moon in his sideboard. So it's not just, it's not just about that. Uh, you know, obviously he does not want to lose to Tron. And it's interesting because Tron is a deck that, uh, I, I'm not sure if you listened to the cast or not the last couple of weeks, but, uh, Brad and I have been talking and Tannen too, have been talking a lot about how good Tron looks, you know, uh, getting Karn, getting, you know, an entire different angle of attack has seemed great. But I got to tell you, looking at these results, Tron is, there's not a lot. There's not a lot at all. Yeah, I think Will went X5 or X6 with the deck. Yeah, I mean, well, it's weird because all the all the decks that did do well were actually Eldrazi Tron, were these aggressively slanted decks that also were Karn decks. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, when I played against Will... He just like assembled Tron on turn four and then uh, played four mana Karn and then got Trinisphere. And I was very, very sad. And I was like, wow, I don't think I can win this game anymore. It's actually absurd. Yeah, that's definitely like a good point here. But uh, I mean, I'm, I'm taking a look at these decks and I got to tell you, it looks like uh, Eldrazi Tron is possibly the deck to be. I mean, Alex Hahn and Ricky Thorson both had the same record and they got 17th and 18th place respectively, you know, after breakers and their decks look pretty much the same, you know, that with a couple of differences here and there. And that's pretty impressive. I don't know if they test together. I don't know if they know each other at all, but it's kind of interesting that they, you know, potentially both independently came up with the same kind of 75 and they just, you know, did a lot of good, good work. And, I think this might have to partially do with how good Chalice of the Void is, you know, in, in this meta, with the exception of, of, you know, humans, like Chalice seems like it's pretty good against Dredge. You know, it doesn't let them go crazy. It doesn't let them go, you know, wild. Uh, you know, with the exception of Pyromancer's Ascension, Chalice seems pretty good against Phoenix. Uh, and uh, I got to imagine the four Ghost Quarter Chalice deck might also be pretty good against Amulet Titan as well. Mm, I think Chalice isn't like that strong against Amulet. It's probably fine though. No, but good enough to keep them off balance, right? You have Chalice plus Ghost Quarter plus Thought Knots here. Yeah, I think Thought Knots here is definitely the big one. Being able to have this effective disruption with like how quick the clock they right. can present is probably mm-hmm. pretty big. Yeah. Uh, I would assume your humans matchup is fine. I mean, Cavern of Souls is pretty good against Chalice of the Void. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I imagine your humans match up with Eldrazi. I mean, it has not been historically very good. That's part of the reason Eldrazi Tron disappeared to begin with was the rise of humans. And I imagine your humans matchup still isn't awesome, but I think Karn probably does actually provide an angle against that deck, being able to grab like sideboard and snaring bridges and stuff like that. Probably actually does improve your humans matchup. Yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable. Karn just looks like it offers you a lot of different answers, but it it looks like based on the results that we're looking at is that if you want to play Karn and you want to have a you know a good ride with it that you're probably just going to end up playing uh playing Eldrazi Tron more than anything else. You know, we saw Chihoyim got 10th with, you know, a Karn Amulet deck and I know some people were talking about that. I know Edgar was pretty high on it, but uh you know, I know he didn't do great, but you know, Karn was one of the big things coming into this weekend and it really looks like it uh, you know, in many ways even though there was a couple copies of it, it really looks like it just almost fell flat. You know, yeah, I would saw, agree with that. Yeah, we saw Dilks, Dilks stop aided, and Dilks just was like, no Karn, get it, keep it far away from me. Just didn't play it at all, wrote about that he wasn't going to play it, you know, and he just didn't. And, you know, he had the best performing Amulet Titan deck, but, uh, you know, that's not, uh, not not to, like, leave out Chihoy. Obviously, 10th place is very close, you know, to a top eight, but it looks like if you want to play Karn right now, Eldrazi Tron might be, might be the better choice uh, because it lets you just play a little bit more aggressively. 
which is kind of interesting. And it brings me to my next point. Uh, I personally thought Azorius control was not going to do very well at all. I said, I would be very surprised to see it in top eight. There's one copy in top eight, Roger Abode played it. And then past that, it's, it's quite a ways down before we get to a couple more copies of it. Um, what do you like about Azorius control? Brad, do you think it's good? Do you think I'm crazy still? Do you think the deck is just good? I just never want to be playing control in modern. It's just never been the philosophy that I want to follow. Like I, I feel like modern is such a crapshoot and there's not enough like super generic answers that like you ever want to be the answer deck. I just like doing a linear proactive thing that's incredibly powerful and like you know, if you do end up in a, a poor situation, like your deck is powerful enough that like you can always just not draw your bad matchups or whatever. And like you just like with blue white, it just seems like you have to work for every single win. Yeah, I can agree with that. Drake, did you get to play against blue white at all? Um, I didn't play against any of the control decks. I, I spent a lot of time testing with Zach Allen, who played Jeskai Control um, during the buys, and the the matchup felt very like close to even for a lot of what Brad just like talked about. Like the matchup seems like it should be bad. Like he had I think three or four main deck Nars sets. He had Path to Exiles, you know, sweepers, all this stuff like that. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just like put phoenixes into play on turn two or three and like they're still playing tap lands and it's just like okay like here you go nice narset like you just you don't i think want to be playing these very fair kind of decks in modern where you're just like hoping your answers line up because sometimes they do like blue eye control does consistently perform in modern apparently it won uh an mcq the online uh or won an mcq this weekend as well like and it won the classic last uh last open as well right in Syracuse like blue eye control can sometimes have the answers line up and it is very powerful once you get all your planeswalkers online and stuff like that but it just takes longer to get all of that done and if your stuff doesn't line up then your deck just looks nine yeah the, the deck and certainly got better good. I do agree with that like Narset looks looks really good for the deck um I'd also like I'm a pretty big fan of uh you know potentially playing Teferi as well although not necessarily saying that that's a good card in the deck but you, you know, having all these cards give you a lot more. Plus, like, Dovin's Veto is nice. Uh, you know, a nice little way to just have, like, a two-mana uncounterable in the gate when you're already playing a gate anyway. Uh, you know, we see these decks kind of, like, lowering their curve. Like, Jack Fogel played Spell Pierce in his main deck. You know? Yeah, and, and that's just, like, an interesting way. It feels like these blue-white decks are just trying to lower their overall curve, which I, I think have played Narset and Teferi have really leaned you know, these decks into like lowering their converted mana cost because now they have better threats that cost less. So it gives them time to kind of do things, but still overall, I think, you know, there's just a lot to go on. Like, like what is that? Like this deck just looks like a mishmash of cards, you know, one detention sphere, one logic, knot, one mana leak, one settle the wreckage, one surgical, one Supreme verdict, one terminus, one wrath of God. I still don't understand one blast zone and plain detention sphere. These things don't make sense to me, but right. But like, it, it just feels like these blue white decks are just kind of a pile of cards that are good instead of a focused deck. And I think that's the biggest issue with blue white is I, I thought for a while, the cards were really good. I was very happy with how the decks were looking with how the meta looked. but now like looking at the meta meta's playing, you know, humans and these Phoenix decks are playing like pyromancers ascension, you know, and, uh, you know, spell pierces and stuff, you know, to try and like go through and, you know, underneath all the blue white decks, you know, all these humans decks are just, you know, getting better at better, at like 
being able to go toe to toe with all the blue white decks, you know, Cavernous Souls, Aether Vile are exceptional. Um, you know, if they're not playing Teferi 3, you know, there's not really a good way to interact with Vile. I assume blue white will change and become much better when Modern Horizons come out. And we'll talk about that more towards the end of the show. But, uh, you know, until then, I, I just think blue white right now is maybe not great. Like, it's fine, but it's not great. Like, if it's a deck you like, play it. But I also, like, don't expect to, like, just easily 8 out. Yeah, you have to work for your wins for sure. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not a big fan of that. Brad, do you, do you have any more final thoughts on on modern before we before we move on and start talking about standard? Uh, I mean, mostly just I mean, I I think the the philosophy of modern still stands where like if your decks in like the top 8 playable decks or whatever, obviously there's some that are slightly worse, but even then, if you just have so many reps with the deck and you're super comfortable with it, it's just like don't try to like do something fancy or like feel you need to switch decks. I feel like you just gain so many more points by having experience in every situation or whatever. I mean, it's, it's not surprising that Drake after having played a bunch of is a Phoenix just basically ran back a pretty similar list uh, to what he played then and like just performed well, just from pure comfort, I imagine. Whereas, like, I kind of tried something very different. I didn't get to play Grixis Death Shadow, thankfully. Uh, and, uh, I, I mean, I just fell flat on my face for the most part of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, so. sometimes that happens. I mean, obviously, something we talked about in Modern is familiarity is important. But uh, let's go ahead. Let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about Standard. Drake, you have a tournament for Modern this weekend. What are you playing? For Modern. For Standard, you mean? For Modern. Yeah. Oh, for Modern? Uh, so, I mean, if I'm playing modern, I'm probably going to run back my exact list. There's like one or two things I want to change. I think my list was a little shorter on dredge hate. Like I kind of goofed that one up where like I expected there to be very little dredge and there was not very little dredge. I played it four times in the tournament. And so I probably would try to make some sideboard adjustments, but other than that, I'm running back probably 70 of my 70. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Brad, what are you playing this weekend? If you have a modern tournament. I wanna I wanna play lots of mountains. I just I wanna slam primeval titan and I just wanna point at my opponent or I wanna cast scape shift and I'll put a bunch of mountains in play. Okay, that's pretty reasonable. Uh I think personally if I had to play a tournament, I think uh I'm gonna play Azort no, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna play Guild Gates. Uh <laughs> I would I would play Is It Phoenix uh, and I would just play whatever seventy five Drake handed to me. Whatever he says, I would do that. So I'm I'm in for that. I'm sure I'm sure we'll see an article or a stream from him sometime soon, you know, with with some updates. So that'll be great. Uh, but let's move on. We got to talk a little bit about standard. We do have GP Kansas City, I believe, coming up this weekend. Uh, standard looks phenomenal. There's so many decks to play. I, I, I know you guys are not happy with it, but like I want you to I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I think you look at it and you're like, wow, this one deck's doing well. All right, next week, this other deck's doing well. This other week's doing it. But, like, it feels like Standard is moving and flowing. And I think that's what makes it great right now is because the, the format has been moving so much, like, I think that's good for it. Like, Mono Red, right, first week, absurdly everywhere. Second week, doing pretty well. Taking a look at the MCQ results, Mono Red, not performing very well. We're taking a look at this classic, Mono Red, not performing well. The format started. Harlan got third. Yeah, Harlan got third, and somebody got seventh, and then there were two decks outside. But like, that's not the way it was before. Let's take a look at the SCG Syracuse results. How many Mono Red decks were there in the top sixteen alone? 
There was three in the top sixteen. At there least was a more. there had to be at least there were three, three in the top eight. That is not mm-hmm. including all the copies that were everywhere. That's a, there were a lot more copies of Mono Red floating around in all the results than they were. But people are starting to adapt to Mono Red. Obviously, it's still going to do good. You know, Harlan is obviously a, a fantastic player, and sometimes Mono Red has a lot of punishing draws. But now we're starting to see this, uh, you know, upgrade of decks. You know, people are now playing all these Super Friends decks. These Planeswalker decks are getting everywhere. And we're starting to see the Bant, uh, or not the Bant, but the Mass Manipulation decks. Those are starting to pick up a little bit, which I'm sure have an exceptional Planeswalker matchup. <laughs> you know, just being able to steal all their Planeswalkers. Why do you need to play any when you can take all of your opponents? So, you know, you're just playing this kind of big ramp deck when when people are beating these deck, playing these decks that are good against red, and you get to play this mass manipulation deck, which is good against the Planeswalker decks. You know, it's kind of just this, you know, cascading chain where all these decks are just kind of, you know, going after each other and trying to beat the next level. I think Standard looks great because of that. So I think that that is kind of an oversimplification of my take on on standard, because what I don't like is where standard is right this moment. Like this exact second, like we look at the decks that are popular, Mono Red is double the next percentage on MTG Goldfish. Um, it is by far the most popular deck and like apparently the, the most placing deck, I think, is the current. Is that how the statistic on Goldfish works? Whatever. Either ways, Mono Red is... Go, Goldfish is... Uh... Just basically the amount of decks that are doing well. The most the decks that are doing the best. The is, like, Modern has shown itself to be a consistent competitor. There isn't like a lot Agreed. of hate uh, available for it, especially not in the green and blue colors, which is why we saw the complete death of blue green Nexus from week one to now is like it can't like it beats a lot of the other decks in standard, doesn't beat Monored, so it, it has been pushed out of the format. Um the Jeskai Walkers deck, like normally Super Friends decks in the past have kind of taken this uh, kind of control shape where you kind of want to use sweepers to protect your walkers and you're kind of this control deck that has these Planeswalker top ends that work well together and you end up winning the game. Because of these new Planeswalkers with these static abilities, it's the the standard Planeswalkers decks kind of feels like a prison deck. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm alone in this opinion. I suspect I'm not, but I hate prison decks. Chalice of the Void is my least favorite card of all time. Like... It's just not fun. Non-games aren't interesting. And when you just like establish this lock with all these planeswalkers and just kind of sitting there like, well, this is kind of awful. I need an elder spell or this game's just over now. And like, it's just not fun to me. So I don't really enjoy the gameplay that Jeskai Walkers creates. I don't really enjoy like the modern red mirror or like the gameplay that moderate creates against decks that are like clunkier and trying to go over the top of each other. Because that's like, that's the next thing, right? The mass manipulation deck, the command, the dread horde deck. These are decks that are just trying to go over the top of all these other fair decks. They're like, okay, cool. You're playing these mopey prison walkers. I'm just going to do something like larger and more powerful than that. And like, that's fine, but it means that you can't build a well-rounded mid-range deck. You can't build a well-rounded control deck because these other decks are just going to go over the top of you. And then if you, you know, you're going to lose to those decks. And if you try to adjust for those decks, you're going to lose to the Mono Red deck, which is going to go underneath you. And I just don't like where the deck building is at in standard right now. Okay, that's reasonable. Brad? Uh, I kind of agree with Drake's take where, like, you just, you have, like, this arms race going on where you have Jeskai Walkers is basically the only deck that's really shown itself to be able to beat the crap out of mono red i think or at least have a favorable matchup and then you just have like all these uh bigger planeswalker like green based planeswalker decks and like uh ramp decks that just like go over the top of jeskai walkers to beat that and then you have mono red which kind of preys on the the decks trying to beat jeskai so it's like i don't know this kind of like weird um rock paper scissors meta and then you have a bunch of smattering of uh 
other decks. But for the most part, I think we've finally gotten to the point where like mono red is good, but now people are acknowledging it. So we might see it back off a little bit. Whereas before it just always felt like a pretty safe list. Um, and the other decks are just naturally getting better, right? Like the, the biggest thing is mono red has basically built itself since day one of this format. So it's been very, very hard for other decks to figure it out. And also it wasn't popular enough to justify, like you didn't have to build a deck that just straight up dunked on mono red, but now it's like a pretty important deck building uh, priority. I guess that's reasonable. Uh, I'm sure the, the planeswalker mirrors are, obviously not ideal for magic i mean you've seen the, the arena screenshots right right it's like this parsable board state and you're just like all right let's put this on mobile like nice <laughs> no it's never going on mobile we there's just no way it can it can happen but or at least not now with the technology we have but i i guess that's fair i guess the way i look at standard and it's different for me right because where i'm not deep in the trenches week in and week out i'm only looking at results and when i look at results and i see you know you know, 6,000 different debt. Well, not even 6,000, but I see just like four or five major pillars of standard. And there's a lot of variations between them. I, you know, that looks good to me. You know, it looks like there's room to grow. It looks like there's room to change. And while you guys are talking about these decks, like the Phoenix deck, is it Phoenix deck is doing, you know, really well. It's, you know, performing really well at, you know, especially when you're looking at like the arena qualifiers and, you know, the gruel mid range decks also looked really well so we're looking at these you know decks that seem like they're good against both red and the planeswalker decks you know phoenix just kind of ignores red it kind of ignores the planeswalkers just get them gets them dead the girl mid-range deck is really good at just like preventing a lot of threats that are difficult to deal with and it, you know it has this aggressive spin on it but it goes just slightly bigger than the red deck so the red deck has to spend their time playing this control deck so they don't die you know so when i look at standard and i see this that to me looks interesting that to me looks like there's room to build and room to grow and i think this happens a lot where you're like just trying to play the best deck that week instead of trying to play the best deck for next week and i think if you're trying to play the best deck for next week i I think you probably want to play stomping ground or steam vents you know both those lands seem pretty good depending on how you want to build your deck yeah, I was uh I was pretty impressed with uh Phoenix this weekend. I played against someone who just like played a turn four Kefnet against me and, and me being on mono red and I was just like, Wow, this uh this feels not great anymore. Can't really attack through it. And then uh it it just felt like it held up a lot better than something like Crackling Drake. And then they just flipped uh finality and killed me. Um Yeah, that extra toughness is probably uh important. Yeah, especially with the mono red decks uh, shying away from stuff like uh, fight with fire right now, it is a uh, it is a a girthy boy in the in the mirror. But okay, mm-hmm. uh, so so that, I mean, yeah, so we agree that like Phoenix might be a really good choice. Um, Drake, I know that was a deck you were kind of interested. I, I'm sure you're you're always down to play a deck that has your namesake card in it. You know, crackling Drake Sasser. Oh yeah, big big fan, of, big, big crackling Drake fan. The crackling Drake Sasser is very powerful, very smart, then and handsome. So I know, I, I so I know modern is obviously you know your forte at the moment. You're definitely doing really well with it, but you know, do you like these Phoenix decks? Do you think they're just kind of a flash in the pan, or do you think that this is actually just a good strategy and a good place to be moving forward? So I think I think this all kind of speaks to my like proficiencies as a player, where like I have 
gotten all my results in like eternal formats like legacy and modern that don't change a lot week by week and if they do it's like pretty slow and pretty easy for someone who's not awesome at like building a deck for this week you know what, what you just alluded to like i'm not great at that and like modern and legacy it's much easier to kind of do that because the formats move so much slower whereas like a big part of probably why i don't like standard right now is like I, my whole point i made earlier is that the decks aren't built very well and like they're just kind of doing this like random arms race thing and like we just talked about how okay now gruel and is it have entered the equation as like you know maybe potential namestays uh, or mainstays of the format um but there's still a lot of figuring out to do right like you know now they're putting capnet in that's a new innovation to beat red and where your last like previously your red matchup wasn't awesome it was winnable but not great and now okay now you have capnet like how does that you know adjust the deck you know the decks are still being built they're still reaching their um most i guess they're just their, their best built versions in the standard format and that's not something i'm terribly good at doing like i'm not great at taking that deck and just like trying to reinvent it to beat this week's decks and so that is something that i'm going to have to kind of rely a lot on you know my testing partners my the testing team that we have to kind of help me along with because otherwise i'm just going to continually like have very medium results in standard yeah i mean obviously you know it's a little different you're at a you know kind of almost privileged spot one might say, because you, you, you know, you're having a team behind you is definitely different, but you know, if you had limited time, I, I mean, I assume you would be taking all your time just for standard right now. That's really what you're looking into. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to focus completely on standard and like, even still I am like all my testing I'm going to be doing for the next coming weeks. You know, I feel very comfortable with my modern deck. I told you I'm basically running the same thing back. If I were to play a modern tournament this weekend, that's not going to change for next weekend. So like basically leading up to SCG Con, I'm going to be doing all of my testing for standard and trying to figure the standard format out as best I can. And that's, I mean, that's very clearly my weakness. It's very clear where I need to put my time. And so that's what, that's what I'm going to be doing. Hopefully, hopefully the Crackling Drake Sass can pull through for me. I'd love to leave that up in both formats. All right. So Drake, you have a tournament that's standard this weekend. Where are you putting all your effort and time into? You only get to test, you know, one deck what is it that you're going to look to play for this weekend and you want to jam for the next few days? So if I had to play a standard deck this weekend, I don't really feel comfortable with the amount of time I have starting now. So I would very be very likely to play mono red because it's safe and I don't feel very comfortable with my ability to innovate. Given that I have a little bit, if I had a little bit more time, I think I would start exploring these, like, is it Phoenix decks and like the girl decks and like start trying to figure those out because, you know, I have more time. But I played Red in Syracuse. The deck was powerful. Harlan made top eight. Brad nearly missed. So, And all three of us were pretty comfortable with Red going into the weekend. I don't think that much has changed since then. And so I'd likely play Red again. All right. Excellent. Uh, Brad, what about you? You have to play a standard tournament this weekend. Where are you leaning? Uh, I really want to try. I feel like there's got to be an optimal gruel list that kind of will be able to dunk on the Planeswalker strategies. It's naturally pretty good against Mono Red. And I think it should be okay against Phoenix. So probably where uh, where I'm going to put my effort in right now. And if not, I'd probably play Phoenix just because I love that deck in standard. All right. Uh, that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I think if I were to play, I think I'd probably play Luke, uh, L-E-W-K, Lucas Faley's uh, green-red aggro list. It's looked pretty stellar online. Looks like it's had a pretty good matchup against the red decks. And, you know, that's, you know, part of what I was talking about before, just being able to like have these massive creatures that kind of eat planeswalkers, you know, live. 
you know, it's probably a good place to be. And so that's pretty much where I want to be right now. Um, you know, I'm not really going to change. I might, I'm probably, it's very likely that, uh, I, and Drake keeps giving me a hard time because, you know, generally I like switching decks, but I, I think, I think I'm going to kind of like, kind of lock into playing this stopping ground strategy. And I think that's what I'm going to work on for the next couple of weeks leading into the Invitational. Um, but I'm just saying, I'm not sure the last time you locked in a deck two weeks in advance and actually played that deck. I'm not sure. Syracuse, it's ever what do you story mean? <laughs> That's not true. You didn't even. Oh no, you locked in. You were like, I'm playing Bant. I'm playing Bant. Bant's the best deck. I played Bant the other week, and I did well with Bant. Bant's still good, so I'm gonna play Bant. That's why I'm playing Bant this weekend. <laughs> And then he surprised to no one, Rudy didn't play Bant. Right. I said in the chat I was either going to play Bant or Esper Hero, and what did I do? You played, you didn't play Bant. I played Esper Hero! <laughs> you didn't play Bant, which is way I more also important. said I was going to play, I was probably going to play Esper Hero on the cast. There's evidence of me saying this. Uh, no, you can't refer to outside assistance. <laughs> We're on the cast. That is, it's not outside assistance. I'm going to have Brent purge all the other casts. All right. There will be nothing left. No more. We have evidence. a little bit of time left. We figured out. We, yeah, did we? we did. We talked about our modern decks. We talked about standard. We talked about where we want it to be. We talked about where things are going. Here's the important thing. Modern horizons. We're getting a lot of very impactful cards. A lot of cards that look like they're actually going to shake things up. Brad, what card that we've had preview recently that we didn't really get to talk about last week, what card is really speaking to you? What is a card that you think is actually going to make uh, an impact and not just something that, uh, something that you know, we have already talked about or something that's, like, pretty obvious? Scuttling Sliver. Which one is that one? It's uh, it's two and a blue, two two. Sliver creatures you control have two untap this creature. Honestly, I just picked a random card. Uh, Thank you. I, I appreciate that. As as far as like, uh, there isn't any, there hasn't been anything that's like really blown my mind. Um, I do think the Urza card is like one of the more interesting ones. I also think uh, Renin Six is actually pretty cool. Ren and Six is really interesting. There's actually a lot of things that you could do with that. Uh, and But I like that, you know, it's kind of limited to what you, you know, what, kind of limited in what options you can have. So yeah. I do like that. That is that is interesting. Uh, is there like a combo deck? Is there like a fair deck that you want to play with it? Uh, I don't know for Ren and Six. Uh, someone brought up that it could be pretty reasonable in Valakut. Uh, I could also see like a Life from the Loam non-dredge deck maybe being playable but it's probably just worse than dredge um and then urza or whatever seems like it's just broken in some sort someone's gonna break it canister's gonna break it yeah if someone's gonna break it canister's gonna break it i like that uh what do you think about playing red and six in legacy Uh, i mean that just seems insane by being able to freely bring back wastelands right like it just doesn't cost you anything yeah but good thing Everybody knows that basic lands are broken in Legacy right now. I have it on uh, on good authority. Good, good authority. All right, yeah. I I like that. I like that. That's pretty fair. Uh, Drake, hmm. what about you? Is there anything that's popped up that you're interested in? Um, so the the spoiler that was spoiled today. Okay, a little bit a little bit of context, I guess. Um, during the spoiler season, 
I have, I predict a lot in like the humans discussion. I did a lot of humans innovation for a period of time. And so there's been a lot of humans spoiled in modern horizons and a lot of cards that could be played in humans. Like uh, we got a stony silence on a creature that was spoiled today. It was a uh, one in a green for a two, two that's literally has the stony silence text on it. It isn't a human, but that is something that is like going to make a impact in modern for sure. Like that's a card that's going to fit in basically every creature toolbox sideboard, potentially main deck. It's going to be played in human sideboard. Like it just fits in basically anything that can play green that kind of wants a you know access to this effect. Um, and Yawgmoth is another one that was spoiled today that like seems fantastic with humans is popular, just as like how they want to have access to. I believe you can grab it with Bugler because it has two power and like it just like absolutely snaps the mirror in half where you just like get to trade your creatures for their creatures and draw a card in the process. And like, it has protection from humans itself while still being a human. So it gets pumped from Thali's Lieutenant. Like bleh. this card is just not beatable. If you <laughs> on your opponent's side of the field. And so these are like the first two cards that have been spoiled that I've legitimately been like, yes, I think these could fit in humans where there's some other cards like captain ranger, Lieutenant master chief of Eos that, you know, I just don't think is, I don't think it's going to make the cut. And there's been like one or two other ones that I think Dylan has. Uh, does does Thali's Lieutenant put a counter on Yogmoth because it has protection from humans? Well, it doesn't target it anyway. It's an enchantment. It doesn't enchant yeah. it. So that's what? Just... Do you know how magic works? <laughs> yeah, but if it has well, if it has protection, it couldn't deal damage to it. So why would it be able to do that? I don't know. I'm just asking. It's a it's a global effect. It doesn't okay. target. It's not. It should be able to. I'd yeah. be pretty shocked if it couldn't. Oh, that's just something that might come up. Now I'm curious. I'm going to ask because now now I'm legitimately curious. I you could make black, black and proliferate because that would be nice with Dolly's Lieutenant. It might honestly, there's maybe merit to like putting an Urborg in your deck. Like if you just have this card in your deck, that might be going a little too deep. Oh, wow. That's powerful text. Like being able to proliferate. Yeah, if you... Yeah, if you actually get to get to use that, it's just insane. Because yeah. you can also just double up the minus minus one minus one counters on your... Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, that cancels out their opponents of lieutenants, right? And so it's just like... Blech. Like the card, the card can be very, very, very powerful in the mirror type situations, and I think that that card has a legitimate shot of being played. Modern. Yeah, no, that that card is definitely. But as far as four drops go, that one looks like it's it's pretty solid. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of what I think Modern Horizons is going to have the impact. Like Modern Horizons as a whole looks like it's going to impact Modern a lot in these minor ways, like these sideboard cards that are upgrades, these like maybe main deck card that's a slight upgrade, but not like overhauling. I don't think it's just going to overhaul the format. I think it's just going to like kind of you know, replace some cards here and there throughout the form. We're going to get a slight power boost, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. What do you think about Plague Engineer? What is that? Uh, it's a it, two black, two, two death touch. When it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type, your opponent's control get minus one, minus one. Mm. I think it's a little too weak. Yeah, it's, I think it's close. But like engineered plague is pretty bad if there's not true names in, in you know in a format or like young pyromancer is one of the common threats like it's just ugh. yeah like uh, one ones haven't really been relevant in modern for a bit now I think and like engineered plague on a stick isn't gonna solve many issues it's not like I think uh, it used to be like goblins and. I think it was goblins and elves in Legacy or Extended. It was like pretty playable then, but it really hasn't even been a widely played card in a very long time. So I don't know. I don't see it having that much impact. Like Gutshot's still being played in modern, right? So X ones aren't really getting a lot better anytime soon, unless they're like something like a true name that can't be targeted or something like Young Fireman. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get true name. That would be sweet. 
No, please, thank no. you. <laughs> please, no, stop. If we get true name, I, I'm done. I'm not even going to touch modern. Yeah. You can't make modern any worse than it already is. Yeah, you could definitely make modern worse than it is. And you would, uh, here's how I would do it I'd put true name nemesis, I would put force of will, I would put wasteland. There are lots of ways we could make modern worse. I'm, I'm all about, you know, just ruining modern and just, you know, ending it. But uh, I don't want to do it by that way. I just wanted them to go, you know what? Modern sucks. We're done. I don't think Force would make Modern worse. I'm one of those maniacs that thinks Force would actually be like pretty nice to have in the format. Uh, I mean, Force and Negation is just like a good, a good mix. It's, it's a, a good, it's good line. medium ground. I I agree with that. I also, I also, yeah, I also kind of like Archmage's Charm being able to steal Aether Bile and Death Shadow. I think is excellent. <laughs> oh, that card is so bad. You think it's bad? Tell me why you think it's bad. All right, I'll give you the floor. Death Shadow, Death Shadow wasn't playable this tournament and nothing's really yeah, that just people, you're just kicking a dead dog what do you mean? people literally do this all the time it doesn't matter if it's right they do it harder to cast cancel or divination like oh yeah because you're not you're not putting cryptic command in your deck right i mean cryptic um, command is easier to cast because you have to cast it later you're not you're less likely to cast this card on time than to cast cryptic what archimedes charm is actually good first off it's triple blue versus one triple blue. By definition, Cryptic Command is easier to cast on curve because you get an extra turn to search your mana out. Yeah, you could just play Mystic Gate. I don't know what you want. Ooh, Mystic Gate. Sweet. <laughs> All right. This is – hear me out. This is this is it. This is what Merfolk needed to be the best <laughs> no, But But think about this. A, a, lot, a lot of the ways that, like, the, the, the blue decks in general, like – have a little bit of issue with is they need like a card that's cheaper but has a lot of uh you know options to it and being able to like be a counter spell or draw a spell or way to be able to like enter like like aether bile is like one of the cards that just like beats you over the head it's just not a card that you're able to beat very often a lot of times you you know you're going to lose to these one drops and being able to like have this flexibility where you can just you know kind of rip these cards i think is going to be a lot more relevant than you think and i think blue 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 even on turn three, maybe maybe not always castable, but I mean, you also are playing like Path to Exile and Mana Leak and Spell Snare. We I mean, were just talking to the show about how these decks are putting Blast Zone in their deck, right? And like, show, listen, I don't know, I don't know who the fuck is putting Blast Zone in their deck. Stop, stop. See, better beating one drop than a blue, blue, blue cancel. No, it's not. It costs. Blue, 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 it costs more. It costs more. But either way. Either way, like, you have all these cards that, like, you can interact with early, and kind of like Cryptic Command, you don't necessarily need to cast Archmage's Charm on three. But I think the flexibility and the power level of this card is high enough that if you are in the market for playing an Azorius Guildgate deck, or even, you know, a Grixis deck, that I think this card is actually just, like, not totally unreasonable. And it's actually good. Uh, well, I can tell you people are going to play it. I, I, people I are agree. going to play it no matter what. It's just it's something that's going to happen. People are going to play it, but I also think the power level is good enough that it's not like a waste of a slot. I, I don't know if you're like, holy fuck, Archmage's Charm, let me slam four in my deck. But if you're like, you know, I think I really want one of these, you know, one to two of these every game, then I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Maybe. 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 We'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm pretty sure that it'll be fine. Thank God we don't have counterspell, by the way. Oh you know, then this then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. <laughs> why are, well why is that your take? Like counterspell you think is too much for modern? Come on. People are killing people on turn two in modern. And you want you want can you counterspell is gonna ruin everything? 
Come on, man. Yes, Counterspell is way too good. I do not think you understand how good of a rate Counterspell is. I do. I played a lot of it. It's a very reasonable card. It's a very individual card. You think the card that's very good in Legacy, where people are actually dying on turn one and two, is good, but it's it's just not good enough for Modern somehow. What do you mean? All right, look. People are dying on turn two in modern just as much and counterspell wasn't even a four of in legacy it was played like a two of sometimes usually a one of like this card is not snapped in half it's not broken in any way it's inherently a fair card like it is four fair decks you're not going to see like phoenix playing blue blue counterspell it's gonna be played in blue white which you're gonna if you're gonna try to sell me that deck is broken then we're very done here I, I'm not going to tell you that blue white is broken, but I will say that I believe very strongly that if we had counterspell, counterspell would take the level of blue white from like a tier one and two deck to like a tier one and a half to one. Like the fact that like here's the other thing is like you're talking about a format. It, counterspell is good enough for legacy, a format that has days, a format that has flusterstorm. Obviously, now modern has the same thing. Format that has wasteland, a format that has you know, Dark Ritual and Lion's Eye Diamond in it. Counterspell's good enough for Legacy, you think. But somehow, for Modern, it's it's not too good. I just don't understand. You know? So, fine. We'll just agree that I'm correct and you're wrong. I, I mean, accept your apology. I accept your apology, Drake. Thank you. Should... you. You would be able to jam a bunch of rest in pieces then with counter spells instead of having to worry about logic also the other thing is like people talk about this all the time it's just like oh how is it like so different from mana leak well mana leak is good you know turns two three and four and then after that mana leak just becomes significantly worse than counter spell chief i think you're wrong about that i'm saying i think mana leak's like pretty good through most of a game like probably till like turn 10 most modern decks don't even really like worry about going up the like five lands or whatever like how how often does phoenix really play if by like up to five lands lands. like it's your fear your main league is going to be live every turn of the game yeah (laughs) the the problem with counter spells is that you're trading two mana for most of the time like one to two mana so you're just trading even and then they just end up dubbing double spelling or whatever like way easier that's the real secret. And like, the problem with counter spells is they're not playable in modern, so a better one isn't going to be like <laughs> isn't going to break up with because a slightly better counter spell still isn't going to be good enough. Anyway, modern. fuck counter spell. That's all I have to say about that. Anyway, well, so, Drake's Asser. Rudy Briggs. Brad has no idea who you are. He wants to find you out on social media. He wants to know where he can suit see your content. Tell us. Tell our listeners where they can find you and Brad. Please. You can find me on Twitter at viral underscore Drake, and you can find me on Twitch. I stream every Wednesday, usually starting about 6 p.m. Central Time, um, and that will be at twitch.tv slash viral Drake. There's no underscore in that one. Um, and you can find my articles. They come up about bi-weekly on hipstersofthecoast.com. Obviously, I will be tweeting about those as well. So if you do follow me on Twitter, you'll see those there. Excellent. What about you, Red? Where could they find you? Uh, you can find me at opens uh, <laughs> every, every now and then getting lost in Drake's eyes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if not, then you can find me on twitch.tv uh, occasionally at uh, slash Brad Berigmos and Rage. Sorry, I messed that all up. Or you can find me on Twitter at Brad Berigmos. And uh, you can also reach me at thetanninggrace at gmail.com. Uh, 
if you guys want to submit your applications or tell me why, you know, Drake is now replacing Tannen. <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> Poor Tannen. Uh, where can people find you, Rudy, if for some godforsaken reason they do want to? Well, uh, if you could, fi- if you are interested in finding me, uh, you can find me generally on uh, in day two of the opens. Unlike Brad, uh, who will be playing classics. Uh, if you're so, if you're looking for Brad at an open, just check the classics. Um, you know, he, that's where he'll be always. But if you're interested in finding my articles, you can find out my articles uh, every Monday at Cool Stuff Inc. Com. You can find me on Twitter at the Notorious BZA, and I would also like it if you could follow the team, Team Nova, which Drake Sasser and Brad Carpenter are both a part of. And I think we're getting to a point where it's pretty hard to say that Team Nova's, you know, uh, Team Nova's was the best team this season. And I think we're starting to get oh, yeah. to a point where we can start to argue, uh, start to argue that might be just the best team on the SCG tour, but we'll see how the rest of this year goes. Uh, it's, you know, MGG has a lot to catch up to. That's for sure. So we will, we will definitely be doing, we'll definitely be doing our best, but you should uh, follow them at team Nova MTG. Uh, since Stan is not here, we don't have to talk about his team. <laughs> and start with a superior team. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. Uh, so, you can follow us there. You can read all their articles over at Hipsters of the Coast. But if you're interested in checking out the podcast, helping the pod support the podcast, normally we don't have Drake. Normally we do have the Tannen Grace of Team BCW. You can catch Tannen Stream every week at uh, twitch.tv slash Tannen Grace. He doesn't have the Tannen Grace uh, on Twitch because somebody took it from him, which I find hilarious. You could find Tannen on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. That's the one place he does own it. Uh, so, you know, got to give them credit there. But if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can find us at GrindersCastMTG over on Twitter. And you can join our Discord. We do have quite a few people in the Discord. And, you know, we talk about standard. We talk about modern. We talk about spoilers. Everyone in there interacts and has a great time. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us monetarily, you can join our Patreon. You get uh, access to Patreon deck lists. Uh, as long as we're going to an event, we will be posting the deck list generally on Friday or Saturday. So you will see our 75s pretty much every week in and week out that, we, uh, the, that me, Tana, and Brad are going to an open. So we want to thank you again. This was episode 81. It's a lot of episodes, Brad. Oh, my gosh. That is a lot. I can't believe it's that many. I'm, I'm retiring. I'm retiring from the podcast game. Yeah. Drakeathan can have my spot. Drakeathan wow. can have your spot. Well, Drake was Drake was excellent. Thank you for being on the cast, Drake. I appreciate it. Thank you much for having me. It was a good time. I really appreciate it. Also, shout out to Drake for making a, a super deep run and doing congrats, his congrats. his best. His big do- his big yeah. dog best. <laughs> congrats on dog. your finals run, Drake. You know uh, that's so definitely much. definitely putting you in the mix. You know that you need to be in if you want to make the player championship at the end of the year. Yeah, the high stakes invitational. I'm excited about it. Yeah, before we before we hop off, can we just point out the fact that uh, Tana's replacement this weekend or this week one is on Central Time, same as Tana, I believe, and also very good at getting second at opens. <laughs> Perfect replacement. Perfect. Only only for this week. Only for this week. I I for one can't wait to have Tana back next week so we can talk about the Invitational. That's going to be episode eighty two, uh, where we're just going to talk about. Uh, our prep for the Invitational and and what we're looking at and what we're thinking of. So make sure you join us next week for that. Uh, And we will catch everyone next time. Come on!